Welcome everybody to Rewind a Dynamite. My name is Waiting, and joining me today, I mean everybody, listen, surprise! It's Kate from Montreal, everybody. Spoiler alert! But you know, before I I, I let Kate speak, we've all been hearing about the saga of John Pollock and his insomnia, as well as his teething little baby at home, and. uh, even John Pollock, a man who I think, uh, you know, is is able to push through um, a lot of uh, sleepless nights, a very caffeinated individual. Uh, even he had to tap out at some point. And uh, unfortunately, with the G1 coverage, as well as all the great work he does on the website uh, every single day, uh, today was just a, a chance, I think, where I had to step in and tell him, hey, like, you know, it's it, you should probably take some time off. And he uh, graciously did that. And but that's it's also an opportunity then for us to hear, as always, from Kate from Montreal. How are you doing, Kate? I'm doing great. And thank you so much for having me on. I wish it was under happier circumstances. I'll try to talk very quietly so I don't wake John up. (laughs) Not a problem. I'd be surprised if I did that. But uh, yeah, that that just sounds like a very rough time he's going through. Um, Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, fans, listeners of the Post Wrestling Cafe, of course, are used to listening to your takes on Rewind of SmackDown. Now, recently, uh, Rampage included in that as well. So we do get to hear some of your AEW thoughts, but uh, at least I don't recall doing a, a Dynamite show with you. So No, this is the first time I've been on only to talk about AEW. I've done, uh, yeah, I've, I did one or one or two, just the one, I think, of uh, uh, that was split with Rampage, but uh, that was... Okay. That was it. That was it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm looking forward to it certainly, and I'm sure fans, you know, listeners of the free feed will probably look enjoy this as well. Because, um, as you know, much as I enjoy your WWE takes, I would say you're probably just as well versed, if not even more so, with like what's going on with AEW. As one of the people who I know watches everything that this company seems to produce. I yes, I I am uh I I am a dark fan too, so that's I I try to follow it. Uh, I follow it pretty closely. I think with AEW, you might notice I'm a little less cynical, maybe, than I have <laughs> been with the uh, with the WWE from time to time. Are you going to be adding roads to the top to that roster? You know, I'm probably not. Um, I'm not. I've never followed reality shows, um, so I have a feeling it's one of those things that I might. I might watch clips from just to get a, a sense of what it's like, but I, I think I, I'm content with keeping my wrestling as my wrestling. I don't. Uh, so I mean, listeners of the you're show, you're going to be into this, aren't you? Well, I mean, they they know that I'm all about the reality TV. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've I've recently been watching Bachelor in Paradise. I've sunk into that level, Kate. Uh-huh. Um, now I, I don't know if I'm that excited about a Cody Rhodes reality show. However, I, what I am excited is to basically see AEW's version of reality TV and what the production quality is like, what some of the storylines are going to be like, how Cody comes across. So I'll probably at least watch that first episode and I'm assuming a lot of our audience will as well. So, 
Um, yeah. maybe, maybe we'll chat a bit about it on Friday with uh, John. Okay, uh, let's get into some, uh, actually, let's get into the schedule first, everybody, because it is a very busy week now. Uh, very appropriate that I have Kate on with me because both Kate and I are active competitors. We're going head-to-head tomorrow with four other heads in Benno, Martin, uh, uh, Andrew Thompson, and the returning Jamesy on the British Wrestling Experience's World Transfer Window, the most hyped transfer window uh that i think there's ever been on the post wrestling network so uh it's basically the the six of us getting to draft our dream rosters of any wrestler outside of the wwe to form our own promotion and our own cards so it's a great listen i would say just to kind of get a sense of who the top wrestlers in the world outside of the wwe are in at least our six opinions and that will be available available on the British Wrestling Experience feed tomorrow. So subscribe to that, everybody. Also, I will be back in the evening for Post Wrestling Cafe patrons for the latest edition of MCU Later, where WH Park and I will be joined by John Ceno to talk about What If episode number eight. We're in the penultimate episode of What If, and tonight's was certainly a doozy. So I recommend you guys check that out and then listen to us. And then on... Thursday afternoon, John Pollock will be back. He and I will be re- reviewing uh, G1, G1 from the past two days. We had a B block show today. We'll have an A block show coming up later this evening. So, John will be back to talk all about that. At Friday, we will be doing another uh, little quick news show as as well as also a G1 coverage show on that same night. And then Rewind to SmackDown and Rampage that evening. So, very busy, busy day as always. Uh, Forget on, Christian. You guys are the ones who outwork everyone. Outwork everybody. Yes, absolutely. So that is the schedule. And then on to some news, everybody. Okay, very quickly here. Uh, I would say, you know, perhaps the top story coming out of the news cycle today, in conjunction with this edition of AEW Dynamite, was the announcement of the John Huber Foundation. This was an announcement that was made uh, on Twitter uh, in sometime, you know, in the afternoon. Uh, And the statement and the tweet reads, The family and friends of John Huber have announced the creation of the John Huber Legacy Foundation. The foundation will focus on providing support to people in creative fields who have not taken the next step in their career due to family obligations. And so uh, if you want a bit more information, you can read that full press release at postwrestling.com or at johnhuberlegacyfoundation.org. Any thoughts on uh, this announcement, Kate? I just thought, I thought, what a wonderful idea. And I think that it's important. It's really nice to see that they're focused on the idea that people should be able to have a family and still be able to pursue dreams that might otherwise, where that might otherwise come in conflict with uh, the demands of being a father or a mother. Um, I'm, yeah, it just, it, it, absolutely warmed my heart and i thought a great time to announce it so good for them it's it's very idea definitely a heartwarming story as like you know it seems like you know you know in his unfortunate unfortunate passing like this just kind of swell of positivity still continues to emerge like you know so much time after after the man's death and um, it's a really interesting idea for, I would say, a charity t- in his honor, because I think it just kind of maybe highlights the fact that this was somebody who definitely really struggled trying to follow his dreams while also trying to maintain, 
you know, that that family aspect um, of, of his life that I think he is now, you know, posthumously so well known for. And I think it's just it's nice to see there are charities doing work in all sorts of fields and they they do great stuff. But I like it when someone's able to find something that can be a very particular focus and for people who whose needs might get kind of lost in the shuffle, even if they were able to get help from from other charitable organizations. So I like that about it. Uh, we do hear from uh, Chris Huber in this press release, and he says many artists. And Chris Huber, the brother of John Huber, and he says many artists and wrestlers are never taught how to manage their finances, investments, and assets in a way to make sure their family is secure. Like our father, John always wanted to make sure he was making decisions that were the right decision, not only for his career but also for his family. The foundation will announce its first application round in early two thousand twenty-two. So. You want a bit more information? Go to johnhuberlegacyfoundation.org. WWE Raw ratings from Monday, the September 27th edition of Raw from Cincinnati averaged 1.7 million viewers and a 0.48 rating in the Prime demo per Showbuzz Daily and Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics. This is down 4.7 in viewership and 3.3% in the demo, uh, respectively from the last week. Raw finished 7th for the night on cable behind Monday Night Football and all its related coverage. This There was a massive game between the Dallas Cowboys and Philadelphia Eagles that averaged nearly 13 million viewers on ESPN and 1.89 million on ESPN2. The ESPN broadcast did a monstrous 4.11 rating in the target demo. Uh, the Raw declined... From a .49 to a .46 over the course of the three hours, which of course saw Bobby Lashley versus Big E bookending the show with two championship matches. So, um, I mean, uh, certainly a decline, and I, I think as expected with maybe what sounds like a very, very big football game. But uh, any thoughts, Kate, on perhaps this rating? Uh, if I if I were them, I would not. Uh, I would not be upset about that at all. Like I know, looking on Twitter, uh, my timeline was all NFL and particularly the Cowboys versus the Eagles. Um, they were it, like that, that game was a juggernaut and they were going to lose something for them to contain the loss, especially to go down so little in the demo. Uh, I think that uh, they have every reason to be happy with that number. I totally agree with you. It's very stiff competition for the company right now. And we may continue to see these like super main events that they they'll continue to put on raw. Uh, perhaps the bigger story of the week in terms of WWE ratings is that week three of NXT 2.0 experienced a dramatic drop for this week's episode as the show fell under 700,000 viewers and saw a 30% loss in the key demo. The September 28th edition of NXT 2.0 averaged 655,000 viewers and approximately 183,000 or 0.14 in the prime demo her show Buzz Daily and Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics again. Uh, did you have a chance to watch NXT 2.0, Kate? I did not. Uh, I I did. Um, I have to admit, I don't know if it's maybe I just need some space to grieve the old NXT or something because I was a fan. And yes, I felt it had lost its direction a bit when it was being used to counter-program Dynamite. I thought that it was sort of gating its feet back again, but... 2.0 is is really not doing it for me. I get, I kind of get why people like, I get what people like about it. But if I'm them, to me, the show seems like it's designed 
all for a very young audience. Um, but it also seems like it's coming off as older people's idea of what a young audience would be into. And that demo number kind of reflects that. I mean, that's the, this, the 655,000 is, I mean, that's, it's not up, it's not down, but you anticipate that it's going to be, that it's going to be a while before it stabilizes and before it gets its own audience. But that, that demo number is scary and it's going in the wrong direction. Like that's lower than what they used to get when they were going head to head with Dynamite. Yeah, certainly the luster of, I think, seeing what this new shiny NXT, very colorful NXT is going to look like has already worn off, you know, three weeks into it. And I think audiences now know exactly what they're going to be in store for if they stick with this product. And that is very much, um, as comparisons have been made before, it is FCW. It is Deep deep South Wrestling. You know, it is a version of sort of WWE that we know is there for practice for a lot, a lot of these guys. Well, and I also feel like obviously they're introducing a lot of new characters and I'll, I'll give, I'll cut them some slack with that. Although I don't think you need to introduce quite this many all at once, but that said at this point, the, the guys who have been there for a while and the women who've been there for a while, they just don't feel like they fit anymore. Mm-hmm. Like they, 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 I don't know if you want to send them to the main roster because that hasn't been the greatest option for a lot of people, but, but they just, and, and that actually, makes the viewing experience of 2.0 kind of weird for me because I don't feel like Kyle O'Reilly blends in with the, with this atmosphere. I don't, especially they've given Roderick strong, this new diamond mind gimmick. uh, But I don't feel like he's really blending in. I don't feel like Champa blends in all that well. Um, And he's there. He's the the champion right now. Now I'm, I'm happy to see him, but it's just, but you know he's just holding the belt for for Braun Breaker or somebody else, you know. Yeah, well, yeah. and I think that when you've become accustomed, these char- these are characters that were developed for WWE with the old NXT, and so they know. Yeah, the old NXT did look and feel very different, and therefore those characters feel like relics right now. It it is about the the Braun Breakers and the the. Joe Gacy's I keep calling him John Wayne Gacy and I really shouldn't do that um but uh and all of the these new guys who they're introducing so yeah it kind of needs to stabilize a bit and I'm a fan of Braun Breaker I like what I've seen of him so far like you know despite the name I mean they're very clear with I think what they're trying to reference with his persona he sounds exactly like his uncle Scott um, and mm-hmm. he, to me, like anytime you see something from him, like the internet seems to be as obsessed with him as they are hook. He is yeah. just a very memeable and I think like fun wrestler to watch. Now, am I going to tune in every single Tuesday just to see Braun Breaker in a main event? Probably not, but I'd be interested in his development. And certainly by the time he gets to the main roster, I think that might be Vince's type of guy that he'll actually push to a championship level. Um, Agreed. And, any thoughts on perhaps the, the show itself? Kate, from what you were able to watch? Um, I I find it's very, it is much more of a WWE product than uh, NXT 1.0 was. There is not, there, there is some, uh, there is some good wrestling, some attention paid to that, but it's mostly just very quick matches. It's all about, they want to do characters. They want to do storylines. They want to do like just mm-hmm. spoken bits. It's, it's, 
it's much flashier than uh, than the previous version. Do you think that, you know, USA will look at, I mean, if the ratings continue to trend downwards, and it's only been one week that it is trending downward, at least uh, to a significant margin. So um, we await to see what the trend will be. But do you think that NXT will have any concerns and, they'll, and you know, NXT 2.0 will need to bring back some of the old flavor to maybe maintain its core audience? Well, I think you have to look at what what kind of ratings it was doing to begin with. Like if if USA were happy with the ratings during the the time that it was going head to head with uh, Dynamite, and if they're happy with the ratings beforehand, there's no reason for them to be unhappy now. What I do think this has done is it's caught USA's attention, and now they're wondering more like, hey, this is not what we signed up for. So maybe they have a little bit more of a, a critical eye on it than um, than what they did before. But I don't think they're counting on this to do a huge number. So they they probably do have a pretty uh, a pretty long leash. And and it also seems like to me like you know like if I'm USA, I'm not probably caring so much about what we would consider the star power of that show because. You know, as much as we like them, people like Tommaso Ciampa or Kyle O'Reilly, they're not necessarily rating straws. They're not necessarily stars in, in what I would, you know, compare to what, you know, like what you would say on see on other shows. Instead, it's I think it's things like, you know, having a large audience in the room, you know, having maybe big, colorful, different logos that that I think might, you know, um, that USA might might maybe care a bit more about. But ultimately, it's sort of the results and the ratings that matter the most. Um, I think I, that yeah. So I please. think that one of the tests will be the first time they get uh, a big like a, a bona fide star out of this system. And let, I agree with you. I think it's going to be Braun Breaker. Um, I want to see what happens when they then try to move him to SmackDown mm. on another network. Yeah, well, that I think that <laughs> I think USA might have some issues with that if it starts to if if it starts to happen. I don't think they want to be a feeder system for Fox. Hmm. Uh, my last question with regards to NXT, John, in his update today, you know, kind of talked about maybe some of the biggest um, talking points as far as who may be called up on Friday's SmackDown draft and also Monday's uh, Raw draft. Do you have any names from the current NXT that you could see getting the call up? Uh, I was almost surprised that uh, Yoshirai and Zoe Stark hung on to the women's tag belts because I think that Yo is past the point where they want to call her up. I think she, they probably they have room for her, and you know they they, their history with Asuka and Kairi Sane was not great, but I can certainly see where they would want to have like a very dominant female star, get her up there, have her fight Charlotte again, have her uh, matched up with some of the, um, uh, some of the other women there. Um, I think again, like Kyle O'Reilly, I don't really see him fitting in. Um, I know people have been talking about hit row to me, hit row are still very new, I almost don't want to see them called up though, because I really like them. And I don't think that the things yeah. that I like about them are going to be things that Vince likes. 
So. From what I was able to see of NXT in clip form yesterday, I mean, um, BFAB is very green. And I, yes. as much as I like her as a personality, I really think she needs that time in NXT to really refine mm-hmm. her. And as as well as maybe Top Dalla and some of the other members of, of the group, just them as a unit. You know, Swerve might be ready, but yeah. you can't just call one of them up. You'd be breaking up the group. So I love to see them stick around. What do you think about Dakota Kai's chances? Oh, I think I think that she's gone to the main roster. I mean, she hasn't even appeared since she lost to Raquel Gonzalez. Um, I think Raquel may be, again, she retained her title. Um, the They are setting uh, the, the matchup with her versus Mandy Rose. And so that might, they, they certainly are putting a push behind Mandy Rose and her new faction. They may choose to take the title off her. I'm a little surprised, honestly, they haven't done it already because she's someone who I think that they would like to have. Um, they could use, particularly with Nia out, uh, they could use a very dominant, uh, like a, a big, strong woman. Um, but again, I'm not, I'm not sure if Rick, like Raquel is very is very good, but is she really at a level where I can see her main eventing? a show or a pay-per-view. And I don't know if I have, if I see her at that level yet. And that has a lot of risks. Last story here before we go into Dynamite is that Seamus has provided an update on Wednesday and he has had surgery for a second time on his broken nose. He revealed that he broke it a second time during the September 20th episode of raw in a match with Jeff Hardy. So, uh, should have kept that mask on damn mm-hmm. oh man this man this poor guy with his uh nose uh so we wish him the best of course in a speedy recovery on to dynamite everybody of course this is a show that tony Khan revealed this afternoon was a dedicated episode of dynamite to Brody lee did it surprise you that they didn't announce something like this um maybe well, we all knew i think we all expected but you know the fact that like they didn't make a big deal of it, of it perhaps the week prior. Do you feel like there was anything beneath the surface about that thinking? I think Tony may have learned his lesson about announcing things like that too early and what can happen with speculation online. Because I think that if he had announced this last week, you would have had a week of people feverishly anticipating uh, some sort of big announcement or big debut, Bray Wyatt. Mm-hmm. Um and they that were doing that anyway. Would have it. They were. They were. Now imagine if there had been some sort of uh, acknowledgement that the show was going to be special. Uh, I, I think that it just would have gone nuts. And and so I think it was smart to to hold it off until last night to announce. We are in Rochester, New York, the home of Brody Lee at the Blue Cross Arena. And John Huber, in memory of John Huber graphic, displays off the top. And right off the bat, we hear a big Brody chant from this audience. And this is where Excalibur makes mention of the John Huber Legacy Foundation. CM Punk arrives, and he joins commentary for the entire show. What are your thoughts on Punk on commentary? Uh, I, I like him on commentary. I'm not sure that he needed to be there the whole time. Um, although he's good, I didn't have any problem with it. It just sort of seemed like uh, maybe like make us want him a little bit more, like may continue to make him feel special. Uh, I but I didn't I didn't have an issue with it. It's just one of those things. Like mm, maybe could have had him on for the first 
first half or whatever. Like there's, there's no rule that says, you know, he has to do the whole show. He, um, I mean, I, I do think like AEW likes to have a big name presence on commentary from time to time, just so that people flip into the channels might have a chance to like catch. Oh, is that CM Punk? It gives a reason mm-hmm. for, um, you know, your big star to have a presence on the show without necessarily wrestling. But I definitely felt like there were times where on this episode, and we'll talk about it, where he his presence might have been too big for some of these segments and maybe yes. not such a bad thing, but yeah, yeah like maybe discuss. just having him there and was, was a bit of a distraction. Yeah. Our first match of the night is jungle boy versus Adam Cole. This crowd loves chanting Adam Cole and they continue to chant for him at d- different parts throughout the match. But of course they do love jungle boy as well. Uh, the crowd really comes alive for the first time after a poison Rana from jungle boy and a running lariat combo from Jungle Boy gets a two count. He hits a wrist clutch burning hammer that also gets a two count. Adam Cole teases a Panama Sunrise on the floor, but Jungle Boy bursts back into the ring and then hits a running Rana over the top rope off the apron onto the floor to Adam Cole. Back in the ring, Cole finally hits the Panama Sunrise to Jungle Boy, and it leads to a very surprising kickout at 2.9 as Cole gives a very shocked expression. Cole signals for the boom, which is formerly the last shot. Jungle Boy ducks and applies a snare trap, which gets a great reaction. Uh, Cole escapes, but with Aubrey distracted, Cole hits a mule kick low blow to Jungle Boy, leading to the boom for the victory. This one went about 15 minutes. What are your thoughts, Kate? I I loved this one. Um, I I did. I thought it was the best match on the show. Uh, I... Uh, it, I mean, it is very much my style. I like both of these guys a lot. I think what really struck me was you can see how similar they are to one another um, and uh, like how they almost mirror each other at times. Like there's almost a Spider-Man meme kind of happening at uh, at certain instances. I definitely want, uh, not right away, but I want them to run this one back. Uh, I think that this is definitely one that... Uh, that they should revisit. And I thought it was a great way to, to, to start AW do the hot start very, very well. And this mm-hmm. was a great choice. I think it's, uh, I, I feel like, you know, I, I want to give Adam Cole a round of applause for just being able to make people continue to perceive him as the heel when they so clearly do not want to, like he is so over and like, he's like Brian Danielson level over. And yeah. uh, no, at a very different point in his career. Crowd absolutely loves him. They love ba- chanting Bay Bay. They simply love chanting Adam Cole. But you know, I I think for a guy like him, for it, it depends on his opponent. If Adam Cole was in there with like a Cody or somebody that they just simply didn't like, oh yeah, as much <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's going to get cheered as a babyface. But Jungle Boy is incredibly beloved by this crowd. As much as they mm-hmm. love chanting Adam Cole, they will still cheer Jungle Boy as the, as the babyface. I, I in this match, it was interesting to to watch him because I I sense some like some of that WWE veteran influence in him, where the match I felt was a bit more tempered than maybe what you might see of a PWG style that was maybe this exhaustive exhaustive spot fest. I thought it was very well-paced, maximized a lot of the reaction for every action that they gave. Um, it's It was a match where I think Jungle Boy continues to prove how refined he's become, how improved he's become, and comfortable in the spotlight he's become. So, you know, this there's a lot of conversation about these, you know, four pillars of AEW with Jungle Boy being among them, and um, all of them are in very good shape. So 
whenever Jungle mm-hmm. Boy is ready for that, you know, singles role, I, I, I think he's actually very close to it. This di- this definitely did feel to me like the first match that we're getting to see these two together of a number of matches like this. Mm-hmm. Is, it, it's an introduction. I mean, in the same way that really the Danielson Omega did like this, it's it's a starting point. And yeah, I think that it, they'll up the ante over uh, over future encounters. The Super Elite come out, and Carl Anderson gives us the roll call. We have the Good Brothers, we have Adam Cole, we have Kenny Omega, and we have the Young Bucks, and of course, Knack and Cutler. Adam Cole takes the mic, says he did what he said he was going to do in defeating Jungle Boy, but he did it himself, and he remains undefeated in AEW. Nick says, are you ready to hear the best promo in all of wrestling? As he passes the mic to Michael Nakazawa. This, however, does not stop the crowd from chanting CM Punk in a spot that, I mean, I don't know if they, you know, you can read this in one way that, okay, how could they not have expected them to chant CM Punk when you say, are you ready to hear the best promo in all of wrestling? But there were many moments here where I felt like CM Punk was not the intended target, yet this crowd clearly wanted that direction to to actually occur. I thought in this case it was because I'm pretty sure they bumped the volume on the crowd while they were chanting. Mm. Um, like at least it did, it did seem to increase rather suddenly. And I don't know if it was because there were just more people chanting all of a sudden, or because they actually, they wanted you to hear it. Kenny takes the microphone says, by the way, Nakazawa just had nothing to say. He, uh, passes it over to Kenny. Kenny says, everybody called this match against Brian Danielson, AEW's biggest match to Kenny. However, it was not a big deal. He gives Danielson credit for, nearly kicking his chest in, but Danielson couldn't get, it, couldn't get it done. He's not getting a rematch, and he'll never face him again. Out comes Brian Danielson, still in his white t-shirt. So clearly just a look he's embracing and going for at the moment. He asks the crowd if they want to see the rematch, and they chant yes, yes, yes. Danielson says, the crowd wants it, I want it, but Kenny doesn't have enough balls. And this prompts the crowd to chant, no balls, no balls. And K- Brian uh, solidifies it by calling him and introducing Kenny as Kenny No Balls Omega. The crowd starts chanting Kenny No Balls. Uh, this this chant was uh, really fascinating because, like, on the one hand, I, I mean, I think the crowd came up with it themselves, but it was also Brian really kind of goading them on. So, like, part of me is wondering whether or not this was intended from the get-go. Or yeah, if it's it- hard to tell. Or if it was just something organic that like Brian decided to run with. And clearly this is a uh, it's probably a chant that will be sticking around for, for Kenny Omega. So Brian challenges anybody on the Elite to a match on Rampage. And Kenny says, why not tonight? Brian says, okay, but I'm not doing it alone. Oh, okay. He did. He, does he say what? Did he say why not tonight or why not on Dynamite? Is it like... I'm not sure. Uh, I I thought he said why not on dynamite, but it, okay. I could be. The could impression be was why not tonight? At least I think that's how yeah. this crowd took. Yes. It. Yeah. Now, of course, we know that um, the match that ends up being booked is for next week's dynamite because out comes Kaz, Marco Stunt, Luchasaurus, Christian, and Jungle Boy as uh, the elite scatter to chance of Kenny Nobles, and uh, that appears to be the match that we are getting next week on dynamite. what do you think of the segment? I, I guess the other thing that I had heard, I had heard though, was that they were also going to do Danielson versus, uh, uh, versus Nick, Nick Jackson. Jackson on. Rampage. And yeah. And I didn't hear that come out. Like I, I, I saw that and I don't know if I, I just, I, 
it was there and I blanked on it or whatever. But I, I found the ending to this a little confusing, to to be honest. Um, I but I'm I'm hyped for the match. I mean, it's a hot story right now, and we we do want to get to that uh, that rematch. So uh, I think that this is a, a good stepping stone to that. I. I mean, I, I, I've heard Brian Danielson be just this tremendous promo. Everybody remembers, you know, his retirement night, his comeback night as like great moments of him just speaking authentically to the crowd. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he is at his best when he has to like do these sort of trash talking build to the match types of segments. He is somebody who I think no. um, probably appreciates having the safety net of a script that he can memorize and, and say exactly what they want. Because in some of these segments, I find um, either things you know maybe things ultimately do get properly communicated i mean in the end all you really need is graphic that you tweet on twitter and everybody knows what the match is right um but i do find like he doesn't do as much back and forth with like you know kenny omega or somebody in the elite he more so just kind of like goes goes into like polling the crowd do you want to see the match like you know goading on the yes chats and chants and and whatnot it it doesn't feel as much of a dialogue to me as him just kind of coming out there and I don't know, playing cheerleader at times. What's funny to me is that for a while he was actually my favorite heel in WWE in years mm-hmm. when he did the sort of the the self important savior of the earth uh, run, which of course culminated in the feud with Kofi. Uh, I thought he was brilliant there. I actually, but the funny thing is I found his promo tonight to be a little more typically WWE than what he was doing in WWE at that time. Um, I I thought it was sort of weirdly generic. Um, It Mm -hmm. wasn't, um, it it didn't really build, it didn't really build a character. It's just, in a way, it's like by, by goading the 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 crowd to to shout kenny no balls it's like he really wants to get away from the sort of more good guy like affable image that he had when he was uh when he was daniel bryan uh and he he wants brian danielson to be a bit more lewd or body um well, everybody's been saying shit lately in pro wrestling, so um, yes. he's going to have to yeah. up the ante, I think. You know, mm-hmm. you can't just say shit. Uh, you got to say something else. But, um, you know, I, the whole thing with the Kenny Nobles, I thought worked out really well, you know, and, and if that's the crowd, Brian, The crowd loved it, yeah. And if, that, the, if that was Brian, like, calling an audible and, and, and creating that, then, man, good good on him. That that really was, they'll, they'll sell a few shirts for that. We got Andrade with the Lucha Brothers in the back. And um, uncharacteristically, the Lucha Brothers have not only shown up with their AEW Tag Team Championships, they have also shown up with their AAA Tag Titles. This prompts Andrade with his interpreter to come in to say, Hey, kids. <laughs> like, uh, Andrade, everybody, is 31 years old. Pentagon is five years older than him. So um, him coming in to say, hey, kids, unless I heard so- misheard something else, I think is hilarious. I think he should call yeah. everybody. Yeah, hey, like kids. the, uh, <laughs> well, also the sort of contempt that, that comes with, like, you're talking down to someone. It's, uh, uh, it, it definitely suits the character. He asks, where is Pac? Um, Andrade's interpreter says it's been a while since they, they've defended the AAA tag titles. And then Andrade suggests that they that he brings in some friends to take those titles from him. So Phoenix says anytime, anywhere. So it looks like we might have a triple A tag title defense 
with some of Andrade's friends coming up. Uh, I wonder who the, they may be. We do you have any guesses? Well, there's well, there's there's one whose uh, whose contract is apparently up soon. I think who's that? Nothing. No one's Roosh. coming to mind. Roosh. Ah, okay. Is it up right now or is it January? I'm not sure if it's uh yeah I, I I'm not 100 percent sure I had just heard that it was up very shortly and and obviously they did take the 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 title off him recently now that if you don't have someone locked down you do want to take the title off them before you run out of time I I get that but I can certainly see that happening and um, can you imagine a, a match between Roosh and Leo Rush? And how, what a nightmare that that's going to be for a, a commentator oh, or a podcast. Do, do a tag team, Leo Roosh. <laughs> Leo Roosh. Wonderful. Uh, so, uh, we, yeah, we shall see uh, who challenges for these AAA tag titles. Up next, we have Dante Martin and Matt Seidel taking on Cody and Lee Johnson. Now, this, I would say, the most interesting aspect of the match is to see the crowd's reaction for Cody after, I think, you know, what many consider to be maybe the most heelish Cody's. Cody has uh, the the most heelish re- response, the biggest heelish heel response Cody has had in quite some time in the match with Malachi Black. So Cody comes out here. He definitely is playing a subtle baby face who appears to be somewhat kind of full of himself or at least a little lost. CM Punk on commentary even criticizes how much money Cody's entrance must cost. Dante Martin and Lee Johnson have this incredible sequence of acrobatics to start. Um, and then Dante Martin really, I would just say, continued to steal the show in this match. Punk really puts him over on commentary during the commercial break. And, of course, uh, in Canada, uh, we should mention this show was preempted for soccer. So uh, Canadians, if they wanted to watch live, had to tune in on the TSN app. And that's why we got to see the see the show commercial free. Um, Cody is in there with Dante Martin. And it's just a ton of shine for Dante Martin here with the crowd booing Cody anytime he got the advantage. Cody hits the vertebraker on Martin and gets two. And then finally, there's a little spot here where Lee Johnson just seems to have had enough and actually physically drags Cody to his corner to tag him. I Lee loved John- that. <laughs> Lee Johnson hits his fisherman sushi garoshi neckbreaker onto Dante Martin to get the win. And I believe the story is almost as if Lee Johnson being fed up with Cody tagging himself in and leading his own team for victory. Uh, first of all, what do you think of the match? I thought very much. They have done a great job with Dante Martin. And this was part of that. I thought letting him and Lee Johnson pair off for a little while for people like me who like their flippy shit. Uh, this was just a, a, a treat. Um, you could really, the, Martin was the star as far as the crowd was concerned. Uh, they cheered him whenever they especially cheered him against Cody. I, the people booking the show, the people organizing the show, they're not stupid. They're aware of what's going on and that Cody is going to most likely be received as a heel, particularly when you put him up against a guy who you've pushed so hard as just an incredibly crowd pleasing baby face. So mm-hmm. I don't, I think that this was all very deliberate and yeah, I really liked the passive aggressive tag that Johnson <laughs> did just grabbing him by the belt. It's like, Oh, for God's sake. And then like tagging him in and then to give him the win, like that was in, that was the most interesting thing to me is that Cody wasn't winning the match. Johnson saw how to do it. He, he, I guess we, we are to believe, you know, he, 
had an idea of what to do to win the match and he did it. So he comes out looking like the smart partner and Cody. Yeah. He, he looks like he's a little bit out of touch. He looks like he's a little bit hung up on the spectacle of being Cody Rhodes and of having his own show. And uh, yeah. So I think that this it, it's been pretty effectively done where you're never quite sure if they realize that, uh, that, the audience has turned on Cody, but I think that I, I, I think that they do. And like you're saying, there were little comments that Punk was making that you know Cody lost his edge, that he wasn't doing, uh, he wasn't handling things properly. Um, and then, of course, that comes out in the, the section that I guess we're, we're about to get to right now. So Tony Schiavone is in the ring to interview Cody, as Arn and Lee Johnson both come in here as well. Cody is about to speak. But the crowd boos. Cody eventually finally says that he wants Malachi Black to come back out here as Arn Anderson tells him to stop talking. Arn says ever since Malachi Black has come into AEW, he has destroyed all of us. Arn recounts their feud so far, criticizes Cody for, uh, you know, losing that first match with Black and then taking his boots off. They, he says they never talked about that. And then criticizes Cody for checking up on him last week and taking his eye off the prize and losing that match with Black. Arn says he would take the fight himself, but he's too damn old. But there are two differences between Cody and himself. If Cody gets stopped at a red light as a man tries to steal his car, Cody would say, okay, please don't hurt me, as he would get out. Arn, however, (laughs) says he would reach into his glove compartment and pull out his Glock and he would point it at his um, attacker's head. (laughs) So, God, uh, Arn Anderson um, certainly exercising his, uh, what do you call that? The the Second Amendment right. Second Amendment (laughs) rights here. Standing, he's grounded, then some. He tells Lee Johnson to follow him because Lee at least listens, and this at least appeared to be our separation of Arn Anderson and Lee Johnson, and maybe presumably the, the Nightmare family at large, from Cody Rhodes. I think that that's a good idea. I don't think that you're going to get the crowd to turn too easily on Arn Anderson. I think that you want to hive him off. Uh, Lee Johnson, uh, again, I think works better as a baby face right now. Um, and the, the, you know, maybe keep him with, uh, keep him with Arn or give, give him other things to do. Uh, I think that it's further evidence to me that they're, Cody, there, there is a heel turn happening. They're just executing it slowly, which is not, which is not a crazy thing to do, particularly it's, with the show on. The slow burn, I think, is is great. You know, especially for somebody who I think is is the performer at, at the level of a Cody. Who I think, in the wrestling context, he is a great actor and a great storyteller. Yeah. So this is the type of character, like you know, driven into madness type of character that I think he could really sink his teeth into. I really look forward to seeing how he plays it. It's it's going to be an interesting balancing act, seeing how he promotes, like, if he promotes the reality show along with this whole thing. But, I mean, if you judge perhaps tonight as any indicator, like, there really was not that much crossover. Like, and there doesn't need to be. You know, the reality show is a reality show. This is Cody performing as a character. So mm-hmm. it they, they can almost be separate entities. So I don't think they're worried about that. Eddie Kingston and John Moxley and Darby Allen take on... Bear Country's Boulder and Bronson and Anthony Green. 
The match starts off with Darby delivering a huge coffin drop onto Bear Country on the outside. Green tries to fight Mox and Kingston alone, and then they totally stonewall a crossbody from him. Mox and Kingston hit their half-Nelson Lariat combo, which they called the Violent Crown, for the pretty quick squash victory. After the match, Sting hits the Scorpion Death Drop onto Green for good measure, and they all celebrate with their Brody Lee signs as they send... No, make the crowd happy with this showcase for the baby faces. Any thoughts? I think they're very much designed to allow Eddie Kingston to have a moment with the crowd and in uh, celebration. Um, glad to see both bears are back. Um, the uh, uh, Boulder had been out for quite a while with an injury. I know he's made a couple of appearances on dark recently. I scared me a bit because he was on this week and I, thought that he'd gotten injured again in his match, but clearly that was filmed a couple of weeks ago now. So he's fine. Um, Anthony green kind of random choice. He's made one appearance on dark before he was released. Uh, not very well. Uh, he was in the last round of WWE releases and uh, yeah, I, I uh, sort of random choice, but I think he did that spot where he did the crossbody into the just like hmm. dead no, is it like the, the the no cell that cracked me up. So um, yeah, just to like not everything I guess has to have consequences. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm glad Eddie and I noticed too Bryce Ramsburg, who was very close with uh, with Brody, was in for this match too, and I'm glad that that he got in he and Eddie are good friends. So I, I'm glad that they sort of had that moment together. Ruby Soho and Britt Baker have a video package uh, that that's aired. Baker says people only like cheering for your song. It doesn't mean they'd like you Ruby. No, no. <laughs> Ruby says that she knows she, ha- she has to start from the back of the line again, but still has her sights set on the AEW women's championship. So, you know, um, They've done this before AEW were like, you know, like maybe uh, as recently as like Eddie Kingston after that mural match where I think they do this giving us like it, it gave us at the time an indicator that maybe they'll continue the feud. But I really do think like in some instances, like in this might be it. It's just a way to kind of like tie a bow on, on, on the feud and just kind of close it off. Uh, what do mm-hmm. you think, Kate? Does this continue at all? No. And I think that this was the this was more just to give Ruby a little more time on TV. They need to figure out what to do with her now because she's too big a get to allow her to languish the way they have with uh, Hikaru Shido, who is making her first appearance on dynamite in months next week. Um, uh, So yes to making sure Ruby stays on TV. Do I read anything into this? No. At the top of the hour at 9 o'clock, we have the Hardy Family Office versus Orange Cassidy and the Dark Order. When this match was announced uh, in the afternoon, Kate, I mean, I think some speculated that this might be the main event, given that it's the Dark Order in Birdie's hometown. I assumed it was. Yeah, a a very. And then I had to walk myself back and remind myself that they are very, uh, very good about keeping the rule that the title match main events Brit and Ruby were the main event on their show because it was the title. It was the title match. This was the, the uh, Miro versus Sammy was the title match tonight. 
I would have assumed. Um, I might have booked this to go on last. Um, I I understand why they didn't. Um, but yeah, so I guess top of the top of the hour is this the next obvious place to put it. Yeah, you know, going into like this Rochester date has, I mean, famously has was originally scheduled for March 2020, and it's sort of been on their schedule like ever since Brody Lee was supposed to debut. So knowing that they were going to come back here, I definitely expected like a big spot for the Dark Order. In fact, like something that was definitely in the main event. So Tony Tony Khan instead decided to use it as a way as a spot to to have a TNT spoiler everybody TNT title change in the main event, which of course is most famously associated with Brody Lee. I, I still don't know if like that would have been the way I would have went. I think like something big and emotional with the dark order, especially if they already have the storyline going like, you know, again, in a bigger match, say, I mean, could be, even if it was the Hardy family office, it's not a great main event, but you know, if it was up to me, it'd be something like the elite or like, you know, a bigger heel stable that just felt bigger. You know, maybe the, re- well, it, Adam Page are probably saving for like his hometown, but um, yeah, I did think there was a chance we were going to get Hangman here, uh, but I understand that he didn't. I I thought that the moment that they created was very good, um, and yeah, I, I think I understand it wouldn't. This particular match wouldn't necessarily have worked as a main event, mm. but little surprising. Yeah, so it could have gone other way, really. So negative one does walk out with the dark order. And I would say it was a pretty clear emotional walkout for, it seemed like for every member here, Brody chants just fill this arena and they play off the current, um, dark order civil war storyline where there is disagreement between Uno and Reynolds and angels, the recently unmasked Alan angels who takes his mask off here and throws it at evil. Uno, the man who inadvertently unmasked him. On a, on an episode of a uh, dark, um, it, but who g- also gave him his mask originally? Oh, okay. I, yeah. I forget. Uno gave it to him, right? Yeah. Okay. So the crowd does. I would say the crowd is kind of like largely ignoring what's going on in the ring because they're too busy chanting "Thank you, Brody." Um, there were moments where I really feel like they could have let some of those organic chants build a little because to me that was what was special about this moment you know hearing the crowd being able to kind of like just dump their love for Brody Lee um instead of even like just kind of proceeding with the rundown nonetheless um the action breaks down as they go to break Jorah Joel is a member now of the Hardy family office CM Punk during the commercial break asks who is this guy I had no clue either CM Punk but um Kate like have you seen Jorah Joel on uh his appearances yet I have. And the thing is, they haven't really capitalized on it, but they, they had a, a, a cool little story going with this guy uh, on Dark uh, based on his actual position, which is that he is uh, he, he's Indian by birth. He came to the States to pursue the wrestling dream on his uh, on his first appearance at Dark. Uh, Hardy came out to sort of try to recruit him. And he pointed out that, yeah, you're here, you're appearing on Dark, but he um, his visa was expiring and he needed to find a way to uh, to to get sponsored so that he could stay in the States. And so Hardy said, look, if you want to be our young boy, basically, then I will sponsor you. You know, big money. Matt's going to sponsor you to uh, to to stay 
here in the United States and be able to continue wrestling for AEW. And they, they sort of, they, they went with that. He did obviously eventually join up with them, even though he was kind of hesitant about the, the tactics that they used for a while. That story was sort of let, uh, um, it was allowed to sort of just go away, but it's too bad because there is the, it's the one part of the Hardy family office that has this very cool backstory to it. And that this guy has a reason for being there and that he's maybe there doing some things that are kind of against his will. But um, there was also, they did a, a very funny spot where um, Hardy was having, addressing uh, the audience in India uh, in, in English and having Joel translate for him and, Joel, George Joel was obviously struggling to not wanting to say some of the things that uh, that Hardy was saying. That uh, so a- so in the match, Angels and Uno continue to have their arguments as Uno threatens to walk out of the match, but out comes Negative One along with Amanda Huber. Negative One throws a bunch of papers at them, to which the crowd just erupts. Amanda Huber tells Uno and um uh. Uh, angels and and whoever's on the ramp with them do this for Brody and this crowd goes nuts and they rejoin the match all of Dark Order are suddenly working together they take the center of the ring drive all the heels out as everybody takes turn hitting turns hitting these syncopated dives Amanda Huber negative one Ty Conti Anna Jay are all on the ramp watching ringside it I mean, even that just looked really emotional, you know, seeing their faces in this spotlight, in this arena uh, with this kind of spiritual group that's a, a, or this group that is spiritually attached to, to their uh, to their family member. So Silver goes on this this amazing hot run, leads to an Orange Cassidy orange punch. Jorah Joel takes a huge series of moves from Silver and Reynolds followed by the fatality from Uno and Grayson as John Silver comes in and gets the pin. As Amanda Huber and Negative One come into the ring, Dark Order shake hands, they are reunited, and Negative One sits on ten shoulders. Uh, what do you think about the moment in the match? I thought the moment, well, the, the match was what it was. It was all about that that moment and the the, the image of uh, Negative One coming out, throwing the papers at the, the guys, and then Amanda really getting into, I mean, Unlike negative one, who's who's been on TV before, she really hasn't like she's appeared only in the background. So this was like her big moment. So and I felt that it had more impact because we hadn't seen her react. It was like she came out and she gave it her all like, no, not tonight. You're not going to get back in there. Do it for Brody. I thought was perfectly handled. The match itself was um, kind of all over the place. Kind of it had some enjoyable spots in it. But yeah, it's. It was all about the moment. See, I, I, I honestly wouldn't have minded, and I think I would have preferred if this was in the main event because I thought I think just the 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 emotion of you know everything that was attached to the Dark Order and Amanda Huber and Negative One to me outweighed Sammy Guevara winning the TNT Championship. You know, mm-hmm. and, and and there were moments in this match, especially the post match, where I really feel like they, I, I really wanted them to let those moments breathe more. You know, like they just like it was like okay, sitting on the kid is sitting on on his shoulders. You know, cut. Like I, I believe me, we criticize WWE all the time, but they know how to handle these moments really well. Where like you know, Big E celebrating with the championship. It's like it's not just like show the guy with the belt and then cut to the next shot. Like these to me are the magical moments that 
in some ways are more worthwhile than the matches. So um, maybe that's just, you know, a, a bigger discussion about uh, the pace of AEW Dynamite, uh, which continues. We do cut immediately, though, to Leo Rush. The returning Leo Rush, which uh, con- uh, concurrently with this promo was announced as a new signee to All Elite Wrestling. He says you can call him LBO Leo. What is an LBO? Well, of course, a leveraged buyout. Who doesn't know that? It is a leveraged buyout. He borrows money. I thought LCBO. So I thought that too. <laughs> yeah. Um, he borrows money against companies that require guidance. Um, okay. Like, he's basically doing a money gimmick, it seems like. The delivery, I thought, was really great. I mean, it's Leo Rush. He's a great talker. The character, I thought, was a little confusing, especially, like, to me, like, the big, the story behind Leo Rush is that, okay, this guy we thought was retired. Like, to me, I think having a bit of him talking about his real-life story to set up this comeback might have been a bit more authentic and a bit more interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what are your thoughts, Kate? Pretty much the same. Uh, super happy. I'm a big Leo Rush fan. Um, I broke my heart when it was like he finally made his big appearance. You had that great moment where he showed up as the, uh, the, the last person, the battle Royal and then to have him get injured and then say that he was retiring um, only. And I'm glad that he's rethought that. I hope that he's, he's very comfortable with mm-hmm. the the decision. I understood it at the time, but the guy like at 26, I think he, he just has so much to offer wrestling fans that I think I'm, I'm happy as a fan that he's chosen to come back and I hope that he, uh, he can protect himself. Um, he, he fights a style that can make that <laughs> can, uh, can make that difficult. The character, I mean, looking at that, the first thing that I thought of was, well, he's set up to take on Matt Hardy and the Hardy family office um, because like the two money guys, um, but I felt like it was a little weirdly open-ended. Like if he was trying to say like, yeah, like, you know, I'm a money guy. Tony came offered me, like he just offered me too much. I'm saying yes. Um, then I, I think, I, uh, sorry. I, I personally feel like wrestling needs uh, like a limit on how many money guys, money characters that we have. It feels like we got <laughs> one in every company and, um well we I, have one in this company already and it's yeah. it's questionable how well it's working i'm sure he'll be able to do the character uh i'll give i'll give it another shot when he shows up to uh to talk um i could like i said i can i can definitely see him peeling some people particularly private party away from the hardy family office and um i i that would be that would be fun. I'm just so happy to have him. That uh, yeah, the matches I think will be spectacular, and just to uh, you know, hope like he is a guy who is seasoned enough on the microphone in the ring that I think you can really shoot him up the card. Um, so you know, we'll we'll see how how far AEW pushes him. We got FTR and Tully in a promo. Uh, and FTR basically are, are there to say that they re- revitalize and refocus. Dan Lambert. In the, is in the ring with the men of the year. He talks about Masvidal's need to Jericho and how Jericho, um, you know, probably needs reconstructive surgery for it. Gives Jericho credit for turning AEW into the industry's hottest promotion, and then makes some sort of wrestling nerd masturbation joke. Says Jericho will never wrestle again. There will never be another Fozzie record. They have chopped off the head of AEW Snake 
You junior jock riders will never swing on the balls of Jericho again. A lot of balls in this show. A lot of balls, yeah. Um, so the fans start chanting, shut the fuck up. Scorpio Sky then grabs the microphone. He reminds us that a year ago, he won the Golden Sonic Ring. But it still wasn't good enough for the fans. But, however, it was good enough for Dan Lambert, who was watching, and he sees Scorpio Sky as a main eventer when the fans don't. Paige then grabs the mic. He puts over his martial arts black belt, says he's never been pinned or subbed in AEW. Constantly, he's constantly overlooked, doesn't have an action figure, no show poster. He talks and walks like a champ, and now he rolls with the champions. He says American Top Team and the Men of the Year are the top team. Uh, what did you think of this set of promos? I would have been fine if they just showed the excellent promo that uh, they had on um, mm, elevation that they that they had on elevation uh, from these guys. Particularly, I thought Sky in that one he looked like he he looked like a guy who should be a main eventer. He looked like he made the case. I actually found it weaker here, and I think um, Lambert doesn't annoy me in particular but i'm just kind of done like i don't find he's adding anything and the one thing that he he did seem to add uh on on rampage last week was the these these guys who like masvidal and uh, the others who um came in with him so if you're not going to use him with those guys then ethan page and scorpio sky don't need him and it's taking up a healthy chunk of time on a show that's very, very packed and where there were a few moments that could have been allowed to, as we've said, to, to breathe a bit more. So yeah. um, I'm iffy on this, on, on this whole. Clearly endeavor. like Tony, Tony Khan loves Dan Lambert as a promo. Um, uh, I think he is a good promo. Uh, the material I think is really strong. It's written to be very strong. But I continue to find him just speeding through all the dialogue, you know, without really kind of letting a chance for, again, breathing room, letting a chance for like, you know, proper speech pattern to make it feel a bit more natural. Um, And then above all, like there were some pretty good promos here from all three of them, but it feels like the men of the year and Dan Lambert are working totally different programs. You know, Lambert's mm-hmm. whole gimmick is that he's anti-AEW, he's anti-sort of, I don't know, woke culture, like, he's anti-millennial. But it has absolutely nothing to do with what Sky and, and Paige are, are talking about. Why would Sky and Paige want to, you know, kill AEW? Like, why would they be anti-AEW? Like, they'd be out of work, you know? Like, and I understand, okay, kayfabe-wise, we could probably explain anything away, but... It, it, but, it, it, but no, it's weird. You're right. <laughs> And like, look at the way they dress. You know, they like to me like they're they're hardly like non millennial. Like they, I, the only loose connection that they have is Ethan Page's black belt and Scorpio Sky's former MMA record from like I don't know a decade ago, which really is just not a defining trait at all of either of the personalities. Mm-hmm. So, but the then la- wouldn't, but then like, wouldn't he go after Jake Hager? Who's an un, who's undefeated in MMA? Like he said, like if you're if he's going to go Maybe. after a guy who's Is that, he, uh, who's, if it was Lambert like managing Hager, like I think that that yeah. would make total sense. You know, those two characters seem to fit. The lack of chemistry yeah. between these two acts like still continues to unfortunately bother me. 
We have uh, Hikaru Shida and Serena Deeb. Uh, Shida, as Kate mentioned, making a first appearance on Dynamite in a very long, long time. She is after her 50th win. And that's the match that we're going to get next week. Shida versus Deeb for Dynamite's second anniversary show in Philadelphia. Only second, 60 seconds here, unfortunately. But yeah, nice, nice that they gave us a bit of time for, for these two. Yeah. I'm very glad to see Serena Deeb is back because I've got a whole list of people I want her to face now. Mm-hmm. Uh, up next, we have Penelope Ford and the Bunny taking on Ty Conti and Anna Jay. Um, we kind of zipped past here through the match because I saw a lot of the match. I don't really have a whole lot to say about it other than, you know, when they go towards the finish as Ford misses a moonsault, Conti hits a tie KO on the floor, and then Anna Jay hits the Queen Slayer onto Ford in the ring for the win. What did you think of the match? I thought it was good. Um, I th- I understand why they gave Anna the um, the the pin. Um, although Ty is the she's definitely the more spectacular performer. Um, the the crowd w- really did not seem into this match at all, and it's it's a little disheartening to me. A because like oh god, like please just uh, I'll even forgive them for only having one women's match a week if they'll just stop putting it in the soft spot before the main event every single bloody week. That said, um, I think I was a little um, I was a little disappointed that the crowd didn't get into it more um, because I think with other crowds, it feels like Anna uh, coming back has been a big deal and people do really like her and there is the Dark Order tie-in. Um, Uh, Ty Conti, this is uh, like she's gotten much bigger reactions than what I saw here tonight. So not quite sure um, what was going on there. Look, I mean, if the crowd wasn't into it, they weren't into it. That's like that's obviously their choice. But I felt that that sucked a little bit of the energy out of the match for me. And it made it feel uh, like it it made it feel like a less important match, which is too bad because this is one that they've actually built up for several weeks. And it's one of the only times that they've had a women's match built up that hasn't had to do with the title. Yeah. In turn, I I agree with you with the assessment of the crowd. Um, I don't know if that was due to perhaps already seeing Conti and Jay appear earlier on for that, you know, relative like far bigger segment with the dark order. Um, or maybe like the relative lack of star power this far into the show or simply the position of the show it makes you wonder if like this was say in quarter three, quarter two, or what the reaction would have been like if they appeared before the dark order thing. Um, That's what I was going to say. I think this might've been more effective. And again, this is like another reason not to put it, not to automatically put the women on at nine thirty every week. If it had been slotted in before the big dark order match. Like if they had come, if they had come out with Amanda a negative one after already having won their match and they're looking at the guys fighting the Natak, then that even adds an emotional element to, uh, to the moment that wasn't there. We have up next a Jade Cargill versus Nyla Rose versus Thunder Rosa video package. That's there to promote, uh, the match on Rampage coming up on Friday. Mm-hmm. MJF then comes out talking about the four pillars of AEW's future. Jungle Boy, who he's already beat. Sammy Guevara, who he's already beat. Darby Allen, whatever. <laughs> and then the strongest pillar of them all, MJF. He says he's the past, present, and future of AEW. And that's why he deserves to be AEW World Champion. Says to Tony Khan, out of the con- all the cons in pro wrestling, 
Tony, you're in my top two. The crowd starts to chant CM Punk throughout this promo. And MJF just kind of blows the whole Punk thing off. Although he didn't make a comment about it. He's like, um, he said that I have a friend from MLW. His name is Bruce Pritchard. And I have his name on speed dial. So that is him threatening to leave uh, AEW for WWE. Darby Allen then comes out as MJF says, Darby, I like your school shooter mime on a skateboard routine, but I don't like you interrupting me. Whoa. Any thoughts on this line? Okay. I love that line. I just like school shooter mime on a skateboard. Like, oh, the best put downs are one where they bring out something that once you see it, it's also obviously just there and you can't go back. And th- this was one of those occasions. He is certainly like, I think, testing the limits of like, you know, what audiences are comfortable with, what networks seem to be comfortable with in, in terms of, uh, I don't know, wrestling insults in, in the modern age. And if you think that was a test. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So he says that there's nothing wrong with being the second best guy. He names off Mark Messier, Luke Eric, and Scotty Pippen as famous second best guys and says, Darby, you know, a great second best guy sting Darby speaks. He says, MJF, if you want to leave and if you hate it here, then you should leave. But I am AEW for life until death. Darby says, how can you be the number one pillar when I'm the only one of the four to have won a championship between the two of them. Or, uh, sorry, uh, how can I am the only one between the two of us to have won a championship? MJF says, well, and the was, only one of the four at that point. Well, I mean, um, Sammy, I guess, uh, I guess he hasn't I, won until tonight. Yeah. <laughs> have any of them won t- uh, tags? Because I guess Jungle Boy hasn't won won a tag yet. No? Has Sammy, Sammy hasn't won a tag either. No. Wow, you're right. Sammy and Jericho fought for them, but I think, um, you know, they. He wow. he's the only one of the, the the four billers to have won a title so far, as of this exact moment in time that he was saying it. MJF says he respects Darby for being straight edge, and again, this is where fans start to chant CM Punk. MJF ex- explains the reason why Darby is straight edge and reminds us about the death of Darby's uncle from a drunk driving accident. MJF says it's a travesty because the wrong man died that night. Oh boy. Darby says he's not going to break mentally, and MJF gets frustrated and leaves. Uh, what did you think of the segment, Kate? Um, MJF is one of the best promos in business right now. This one, it it just see. I think with the Brian Pillman one, uh, and even more so with with uh, this one, it just sort of seems like it's prurient for the sake of, of, uh, of being prurient. Like it's just, it's trying to get heat, but they're not really paying it off to a level that the heat, that the, the, the heat demands. Um, I, now they could do that with Darby. I think some kind of crazy, no DQ match with Darby and, and MJF could be a lot of fun, but they didn't do, they, they didn't, the the Pillman Victor like the the match with Pillman did not pay off the the level of heat that uh, that MJF garnered with that promo. So I think if they're going to try this again, they better do it right. Like the the match better be flip and spectacular. I I definitely think that Darby is a character that 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 I I would say will likely 
perhaps beat MJF, if not at the very least, like give him the a, a type of beating that'll surely embarrass him. And and I feel like even in this segment, they've kind of like you know they had MJF back off. You know, like with the with the the Brian Pillman segment, I don't even think Brian Pillman had one of these little moments. You know, where it felt like he had embarrassed. No, he her. got he got attacked, and then Garrison came to hell. I forget what it was, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. Yeah, he didn't was, make him back off. It was still the bully kind of laughing on his way to the back. Whereas in this case, mm-hmm. at the very least, it was MJF kind of looking frustrated and then kind of taking the ball and going home for, you know, for instance. I, I thought I thought MJF was, was actually really good here. And, you know, he like, it's uh, your comfort level with this type of material is going to vary. I think most people love it and know exactly what, what's at play here. But mm-hmm. uh, Kate, to your point, I think it, it's it's provided that the baby face doesn't look too embarrassed by the end of it. The baby face has to look, uh, has to come up on top looking good. Well, uh, and the heel just has to get crushed. Like, yeah. <laughs> like if, if I don't see NJS head going through a table for, for the promos, then I'm going to feel like, you know, I, I like justice has not been served. And then fundamentally a lot of enjoyment of wrestling is about the idea that justice will be served. Darby, Darby, I thought, you know, uh, like, it's not easy sharing a ring with MJF on the microphone, but I, I don't think Darby drowned at all. And in fact, um, I think like him just kind of being stoic and just like, you know, saying his lines the way he does. And then especially having CM Punk after the fact talking about how, you know, he, giving his analysis and giving his narration, really talking about how bullies typically retreat when they're stood up to. I thought that mm-hmm. really made it all pretty effective. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is it, you know, and also I would say, uh, maybe significant because this is AEW, like at least a character in AEW calling out, defining their four pillars of the future in Jungle Boy, Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara and MJF. And definitely seems like something they'll probably refer back to in the future. And I think that it's, it's interesting to see them sort of make that description canon if you will mm-hmm. um because these they are very much they're the the whole well, as much as talent can be grown in in one company they they are homegrown and they have stuck with two of the four um through some some sort of difficult times and uh because uh, uh I, I, things they've said or allegations made against them so this is it's interesting to me to see that they are really like Mm. taking that stand like no these guys they are the they are the building blocks for our future rampage on friday we have brian danielson wrestling on rampage for the very first time against nick jackson rose uh thunder rosa versus jade cargill versus nyla rose and also a hair versus hair match between orange cassidy and jack evans and then next week on the second anniversary of Dynamite from Philadelphia, we have the Elite taking on Brian Danielson, the Jurassic Express, and Christian. We have uh, Hikaru Shida looking for her 50th win against Serena Deeb. And then the return of the Casino ladder match with the winner, winner receiving a title shot. So we don't know who the participants yet are, are yet, but um, probably we'll learn about that in the week to come. TNT Championship match in the main event here. We have Miro taking on Sammy Guevara. Gravara. Um, there was really, it was actually um, kind of amusing here because, like, the announcers spent a good chunk of the opening portion of this match talking about Samuel Guevara's necklace uh, and about how, you know, Jim Ross, I think, just like 
called out, oh, it's kind of strange to see a, a wrestler wear a neck ne- necklace into the ring. They, you know, Punk speculates that it's like, well, it's a $20,000 necklace. You can't just leave it somewhere. And I don't know if Miro somehow heard or something, but like they actually end up using it in the match because Miro mm-hmm. chokes Guevara with that necklace, takes the necklace off and throws a probably not $20,000 necklace all the way outside of the ring. Anyway, Sammy Sammy uh, comes back. He hits a shooting star press. The spot, I think, was supposed to be Miro catching the shooting star press while standing and delivering a suplex. Unfortunately, they do collapse, but Miro did hold on, delivered that suplex, so it was still pretty impressive. During the break, there were We Want Lana chants coupled with No We Don't chants. So that was pretty interesting. Miro dominates through a commercial break as Sammy begins his comeback. With a standing Spanish fly, he hits a diving cutter, signals for the GTH, but Miro powers out and then hits a sidekick for a two count. Miro signals for the game over, but Sammy is able to roll to the floor. Miro goes to rip all of the top turnbuckles off as a callback to the way he beat Eddie Kingston. But out comes Fuego Del Sol, who gets attacked by Miro, but this distraction is enough to allow Sammy to dropkick Miro into the turnbuckle. He hits the Tornado DDT and then the GTH, positioning Miro perfectly for a 630 senton. Sammy Guevara is your new TNT champion. We see confetti, the babyface locker room spills out. Uh, interesting, no inner circle members, at least to, to what I saw. But what did you think of the match, Kate? I really liked it. Uh, as I said, the the opening, the Adam Cole versus Jungle Boy was my favorite. But this was... This was up there. I, I liked this one. This was one of those cases, like there was that obvious sort of slip. I don't know if I'd say botch, but like it, it, something went not according to plan. But there are occasionally times when that happens, when I actually think it adds to the match rather than detracts from it, because the fact that it ended up kind of messed up, it made it feel a little bit real. Um, and it didn't, it looked like something that could reasonably have happened while both of these men were trying to execute these move, these moves. So I didn't, that didn't take me out of the match so much. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I'm shocked by the ending. I really, really? like, um, yeah. And, and I thought that Sammy would be the person to take the, um, to take the title off Miro way back, but I did not necessarily see, um, I didn't see it happening here. I feel like Miro's done so well with that that maybe like that's his title run still had some life in it. And so now seeing that it was on at the end of the night, I think you know, there's a hint right there mm-hmm. that uh, that maybe they're going to let the baby face win. But even then, I wasn't too sure because crowds love Miro. And I felt like the crowd wasn't necessarily they got behind Sammy as the match went on, but I didn't necessarily feel he was, he was another one who did not feel as loved as I've seen him from other crowds when he came out. Like it took them a while to really get on board with him. And it was only in the last sort of sequence that I thought that, you know, they were really good. Like they really wanted to see him win. So yeah, I I was, I'm pretty surprised. You know, um, I, I, I definitely feel like Sammy's presence on the show felt um, maybe at a at a bigger peak, you know, at some point after all the inner circle uh, pinnacle stuff. 
and before like the arrivals of like Adam Cole and Brian Danielson and CM Punk kind of maybe taking a lot of that attention away from him. Um, nonetheless, like he gets into the ring and performs the way he does. Like he oh, yeah. immediately wins the crowd back. But yeah. um, I, I don't necessarily disagree that maybe his star was not the biggest. or didn't feel like it was at its peak tonight for a title change like this, at least not in the way that it felt for like an Eddie Kingston, you know, when he was uh, challenging for the AEW championship. Um, mm-hmm. But I also think much of that has to do with the fact that this was a night about the Dark Order. and I mean, really, it was a night about John Huber and Brody Lee, but by extension, in wrestling form, the Dark Order. Uh, they were going to be the biggest babyfaces on the show. Sammy, you know, winning the TNT Championship, while I think, you know, seeing a title change is significant for a crowd, it doesn't necessarily have any connection to, I think, who the crowd really saw as the top heroes of the show. which. Yeah. Which, you know, again, to me is not, I'm not saying, you know, I'll put the TNT title on John Silver for like a night or something. I don't think they should do that. No, but but maybe this would have been the occasion to put it on Eddie Kingston. Yeah, even that, they they would have gone nuts. I think they would have, I think they would have gotten more behind Eddie than say, and look, I'm not saying like. They they were won over by by Sammy, and they were very mm-hmm. excited by the about the match by yes. the by the end of it. But you know when when Miro was just slamming him, and you're hearing one more time chance like that's mm-hmm. that's always a sign that like they're not a hundred percent on board with the baby face. Uh, yeah, well, it's it's also a thing where I don't think it's like they they can move towns next week and and i think things could can be very different you know like we we heard that promo earlier in the night from uh darby and mjf talking about how there are four pillars of AEW and only only one of them has had a championship and so i do feel like if i'm tony khan it's probably time to start like pushing these guys to the next level and mm-hmm. sammy just happens to be next in line so i think sammy is the right call for a next run for a tnt yes. championship uh, more so than anybody else, probably on the show. And uh, Miro, what do you see for him? I'm not sure. The only other person I I saw uh, a feud with uh, other like since Eddie Kingston has sort of been set aside for the for the moment. Um, I thought Sammy Guevara. Uh, I did think that maybe they might hold off and do Miro versus Malachi Black, which I thought because Black is despite his initial presentation as a heel because he was placed against Cody people, they wanted to cheer him and now they do. So he, he does have more of a baby face vibe to him. And then that character versus God's favorite champion um, would not like, uh, I I think could have been an interesting feud. Um, If you take the title out of the way, I don't know if it has the same cachet to it. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know what you do with Miro right now unless you have him do a little bit of a lull and then come roaring back and take the title away from Sammy. That's very possible, too. Yeah, I mean, it could be sort of like, you know, just a one-night-only thing just to get that big pop uh, in in Rochester. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, Certainly, I think he could do like the the sort of just going crazy without the title thing. I think that that sort of character transformation would be would me would uh would fit with what we've seen from him we go to well first of all what do you think overall of the show and and what would you rate it out of 10 okay i thought it was i i I thought it was very good um i like i said i thought that the opening match and the closing match were really like i got very much into them um i thought the i thought the the dark order the emotional heart could have been 
expanded on. They could have milked that one a little more. <laughs> it's going to sound horrible when I say that, but uh, yeah, very, very good. The dynamite's always a quick watch for, for me. So yeah, it's very quick. And, and, and in my opinion, sometimes a little too quick, especially when it comes to maybe, you know, to me, like the what, what should have been maybe the 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 biggest moment of the shows. You know, we, we compare maybe a show like this to there is no comparison to this and like the Brody Lee, like, you know, memorial show the the, the night that, you know, um the week no. that, that was announced that he passed. um. But I, I think I was hoping for a little bit more, at least, you know, when it comes to... But they did give a lot to this audience. You know, they gave a TNT title change, which was quite significant. Uh, the Dark, mm-hmm. Dark Order moment, as you mentioned, was really sweet. Um, I just wish, like, some of those moments, including Sammy winning at the end, I, I kind of hope that they, they would be able to extend a little bit longer. But they have a lot to cram on the show. And uh, as you can tell by the length of this review... We go to forum.postwrestling.com, everybody, and we look to see what you guys thought about tonight's Dynamite. Out of 10, you guys voted the show a 7.82. And we start off with Brian from New Jersey, who says, This was big fun. This was a big fun and crowd-pleasing night from AEW. Here I was expecting a return to normal Dynamites, forgetting that normal and AEW mean something different. Those first three matches in the main event were so good. Holy shit, that Dante Martin. A lot of good promo work from the likes of Arn, Ethan Page, and MJF continuing continuing to walk the line. The, the talk of the four young pillars was very telling. The love for Brody permeated throughout the whole night. After everybody predicted Adam Page or Wyndham Rotunda to reunite the Dark Order, it was Amanda Huber. And while surprised, I felt, I felt it felt right for tonight. I'm attending Dynamite next week, and suffice to say, I'm hyped to Mojo Raleigh levels. Yeah, uh, you know, as far as like Bray Wyatt goes, I don't even know if the ninety days are up. For They're him. not. But the thing with with non compete clauses is the parties involved can waive them, right? If and if he had felt that he wanted, like it was really important to him to make an appearance at this show, if he had gone to the WWE with that case and they had said no, mm-hmm. that is like. Uh, the I can't imagine that's a PR disaster for them sure. <laughs> to deal with. So I think if he had wanted to be released for this show, they would have let him go because the thing is he's paid for the 90 days. They just stopped paying him. <laughs> like, I mean, um, the, the bigger talk is like whether or not AEW wants Bray Wyatt, you know, is there a spot for him? And, and are you at this point relying too much on the WWE return, you know, to create a big pop? And I don't think this show really needed it. And, you know, Paige maybe, but like, I, you know, I, I think you tell that story a little bit later with, with the return to uh, uh, wherever Paige is from. Yeah, I also don't get the feeling that the Dark Order issues were resolved so much as set aside. Uh, I expect that in the coming weeks, you're going to start to see them splinter again. Um, and Maybe, maybe not. Maybe this is the the end of that, the the climax of that story. But uh, I I think that there's room to do that and then have them reunited again, like the final time by Paige coming back. We got a mugging up next who says it was a lower stakes outing. Cole and Jungle Boy was very good, and I dug that there was no chicanery from the elite. The low blow protected Jungle Boy, and it gave Adam an important victory. Dark Order versus HFO was fun with Amanda Huber hilariously chastising Evil Uno and Stu in the post-match reconciliation with Negative One was moving. 
I'm also glad that AEW didn't forget about Hikaru Shida, and she's been toiling away on Dark and Dark Elevation for the past four months. Glad to see her get back on Dynamite just in time for the anniversary. We got a Shane who says, Hey guys, I enjoyed the show. Not really sure how Arn gladly admitting he would murder, given the chance, gets us anywhere near to a Cody heel turn, but I guess it's Cody storyline logic. I really enjoyed the Darby-MJF confrontation. I bet MJF comes for Sting soon and Darby seeks revenge. I'm glad to see Sheeta will be back on TV. Really wish we could get more than one women's match per show. I gotta ask, will there be a total recall Roads to the Top pod in the future? Um, That is a very doubtful one. From my end, at least. <laughs> yeah, maybe the occasional mention, you know, if it really catches fire, the show. But um certainly curious to maybe hear all your thoughts. And if you're a pod, uh, pro wrestling, post-wrestling podcast patron, uh, we'd love to hear from you on Friday after Rampage and SmackDown if you did watch Roads to the Top. But, uh, Kate, this is the end of our podcast. I want to thank you so much for Oh, thank you for having me. Look, my, in. my pleasure. Yes. At, at the last <laughs> so, minute. Card subject to change. Always on, on call, always standby, uh, on standby, and always able to do a fantastic job uh, breaking down thank these shows so with me. So where can people hear more of you? Um, you can find me on Twitter, uh, She Rants About Wrestling, which is at She Rants MTL. Montreal and uh yeah mostly mostly just me doing the the wrestling talk um on on the various promotions that I watch and of course you can hear both of us on the British Wrestling Experiences world transfer window that drops sometime probably um in Thursday afternoon or might even Mm -hmm. be there by sometime within the next 24 hours yeah or or, uh, yeah, so subscribe to the British Wrestling Experience. John Pollock will be back with me tomorrow afternoon. It's really not much of a break for him at all because uh, he uh, he and I will be breaking down the past two nights of the G1 for Post Wrestling Cafe patrons. So it is towards the end of the month. We thank you if you have been a member, and we thank you if you continue to be a member at postwrestlingcafe.com, and you'll hear from us then. So talk to you guys later.